Welcome to the Thinklings Podcast, a conversation where good thoughts help renew the mind with the Word of God. I'm Charlie Carter, and I'm here with Tim Little and Andy Stearns. Let's jump into the conversation. Welcome to the Thinklings Podcast, episode number 101. That's pretty exciting. We're, we're getting really old. There are as many podcast episodes of the Thinklings as were Dalmatians in a I, popular childhood. Oh, I was brother. literally going to... Charlie, great minds think alike. Way to go, man. And I'm also... I'm going to mention today is we're recording this on September 19th. It will air on the 20th. There's a very big thing that happens this week on the 22nd, which is... My wife's birthday. Which is also... Frodo's birthday. Frodo and Bilbo. And Bilbo. Oh, I was waiting for the end. Three Which, of them. If we could go back to ourselves. Great minds think alike. I'm not a great mind. <laughs> Here's the thing. If time travel's ever invented, okay, we need to go back in time and convince us from about three to four years ago to begin our podcast a couple, like about 10 weeks earlier, so that our 111th birthday could have landed oh. closer to September 22nd, which would have yeah. been. Bilbo's hundred first. All we would have to do is just not do every other week the first summer. Man. Yeah, I know. We would have been there. We needed it. That's fine. It's fine. We will we will say something when we get to our eleventy first, because that's a momentous occasion. Uh anyway. I don't know where we're going from there. Just want to jump right on into books and business. Books and business, you're up. Okay, let's talk about some books. We didn't really do it the way we normally do it, but as long as Tim says what Tim is gonna say. I said it. So I am in year two of what will probably be, what will be at least three, if not four or five years of a doctor of ministry program. Today was fun. I submitted my last coursework before we're working on the project. And so all that to say with getting these last couple of assignments done and starting to focus on the project, free reading has been hard to come by. And so what I was, what I've been reading a lot of, uh, recently is stuff about the book of revelation because my last assignment, uh, submitted to friend of the podcast, uh, Dean Taylor, who will be grading it. And so, um, no further comment on that. (laughs) I will not attempt bribery. I will not attempt bribery. Anyway. Uh, so my, we had to post it was preaching from the New Testament to do a sermon from pretty much each corpus of the New Testament. So a gospel, an epistle, a general epistle. Um, actually, there might have been two Pauline epistles in there. And then you had to do one from Revelation, which if you've never considered teaching or preaching from the book of Revelation, it's very difficult because there's a lot of figurative, uh, illustrative uh, language and things happening there. You kind of have to do a a theological walkthrough of like, what is this? What does it stand for? And how does my theology affect the way I look at that um, figure of speech or that illustration? And so uh, at face value might not seem as difficult, but then once you actually start trying to preach uh, a message from it, revelation, it's kind of difficult. Like how do you pull significant relevant application? And so admittedly I kind of copped out and I went to chapter two And there's these, yeah, thank you. (laughs) There's these uh, seven letters to the churches. And it's pretty clear from the end uh, verse of chapter one that there's these seven lampstands and there are these seven churches. So we're dealing with literal 
churches. And the first one is written to the church in Ephesus. So again, we have some details knowing this is a literal church. And Jesus is just instructing uh, each of these churches. He kind of says things that they're doing well, but then he highlights something that they're not doing well. Uh, Each one of them, there's this phrase, I know your works. So Jesus is like, I know your works, speaking to the churches. And what's interesting with Ephesus, it's kind of, most people know this one. What, what was their fault? Is love. that they love? What specifically? What about love? Well, they had left their first love. They left their first love. They they they've left behind uh, what they start. What they loved at the first, which um, I think a consistent interpretation of what that is is that their love for Christ is not as fervent as it had been. And I think we see this fairly commonly in Christians' lives, that the longer they're Christian, maybe their excitement level is less. And so, uh, but what's interesting is how Jesus commands them to fix that problem. And uh, so I'm just going to read what he says, and then I just want to highlight the first thing he says. So he says, I know your works, your toil, your patient endurance, how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. A lot of good things going on in Ephesus. Mm -hmm. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. So what does he command them to do? Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, Mm. repent, and do the works you did at first. So there's, there's three commands there. And... Interestingly, it fits very well into how we talk about sanctification. There's a mental component. And I think a lot of times there's emphasis in the New Testament of looking forward. And here Jesus says, no, no, look back. He's like, remember. I just thought that was super interesting. And I've read through Revelation before. I've studied through Revelation before. I don't think I've ever really caught that nugget. So what is his first prescription for someone who's feeling kind of stuck in the mud spiritually? Remember, think back to a time when you had that love. Hmm. And I, I think there's kind of, there's a hidden genius in this, which of course it's, you know, genius cause it's, it's Jesus, but it, it reminds you that it's possible. And a lot of times when you don't feel like you want to do something, you're like, Oh, I can't, I can't, I can't, I'm stuck. And remembering like, you know, there was a time in your life where you really did have that love and it kind of, relights the fire of that possibility, which I think is interesting. And I think there's some other aspects to it. It's, it's a considering, it's a thinking, which we know is important to sanctification, but his first command is remember. And then he does call them to repentance. Like remember how you used to have it. Mm. And that's helping them recognize their current issue. And then, so remember how it used to be. And then turn back to that, Mm -hmm. turn back to me is I think the, the idea. So that was challenging. It was fun Mm. writing a sermon about that. So yeah, that's my books and business. That's really interesting because often President Tillotson will say uh, when he's preaching to those who are saved, like, remember what it was like at the beginning. And I've always thought, oh, that's an interesting memory technique. I've never thought of it as echoing what Paul or what John, whoa, is doing there. That's, that's really helpful. That's really challenging. Thank you. And it's interesting. It kind of hits all the highlights we've talked through, which this episode we're in the 12 questions again. But, you know, you, you recognize what's going on, you repent, and then I can't remember what we said, but you, you need to follow through in obedience, and mm-hmm. all three of those elements are there. Remember, repent, and then do it. 
he says, and then do. Mm-hmm. So like the way I put it in the sermon was remember, repent and remain faithful. Mm. Like the, the Ephesian church was doing all the right things, but they weren't doing it for the right reason. They weren't doing it out of a love for Christ. So keep doing those things, but you need to fix mm. your motives, which is consistent in the New Testament that our rewards in heaven is not because of what we did, but it's also why we did them. So mm-hmm. anyway, yeah, there's my books in business. I, the book of Revelation, I would give it a 10 on the Thinkling's Good Scale. <laughs> yeah, so I like that. Yeah. <laughs> it has 65 <laughs> companions that I would also rate a 10 on the scale. Anyway, I'll be done. Uh, all right. I, um, so I said I was going to keep you up to date on uh, Song of Songs for Singles. Uh, we edited Chapter 8 uh, this last week. And moving into Chapter 9, uh, we've, we're, we're, I'm getting in my mind uh, uh, 13th chapter. So we'll see if I end up writing an additional one. But this week I'm teaching a module. Uh, so I'm probably not going to get a lot of work done on the book, but, uh, starting next week and through October, I'm going to hopefully finish it up. Uh, i so that's the update there. Uh, somebody wrote in, uh, Alina, I think I'm not sure how to say her last name. E G E E N S E against anyway, wrote in about, um, back in June. And so I wanted to try to intersperse some more thinklings, feedback, listener feedback, comments. She wrote, after the discussion on worship and visual versus audio versus uh, word today, I'm curious if you have thoughts about the Bible Project. I've enjoyed some of their podcasts, only listened to ones in the Old Testament for now, um, and I have I feel I've grown to understand more about the history and connections between various places in Scripture. And, and that's uh, great feedback. Thanks for sharing and writing in. The Bible Project, I like a lot of their stuff. It, it kind of captures multiple senses. You have the sense of hearing, you have the sense of sight. Uh, they have a lot of YouTube videos. I would say that some of their stuff I disagree with, uh, particularly their Bible project on uh, the Song of Songs. Uh, they've done some, I think it's a Bible project that did some stuff on uh, Michael Heiser's view of angels, uh, the seraphim. I think they're off on a few of those different points. Um, and uh, and so for as, as far as like a grasping knowledge, I think there's a great benefit to what the Bible knowledge or the Bible project is doing. However, it fails in that if it, it doesn't promote thinking. Uh, for you to think, you have little bits of information, and then you have to contemplate it. In the rapid fire motion of even like our podcast here, it doesn't promote thinking as much as say reading, and then analyzing and thinking. So it's still limited in its uh, capacity to do some of those things. Did you guys have any feedback or comments? Um, so I'm not throwing them under the bus. I think they've done a lot of good stuff too. And I'd encourage even consulting them. Just remember that they are reflecting various interpretations. Their one on the Song of Songs is off, as well as their angelology. And I think they did a bunch of ones on like Satan, and they messed up on that one too. So sometimes that form and how they present the truth is so compelling that we're like, oh, wow, that's got to be right. When actually there's like huge debate uh, behind some of what they're presenting, and they're just presenting their view. I would say the the, the one that I encountered was a uh, former, or a f- friend of ours, uh, Pastor and Carol, he had asked me about the Satan one because they don't call him Satan. They depersonalize him. They just call him the Ha-Satan, the accuser. Mm-hmm. And so they, they took like a weird view in Job about it. And, and, I, and it, so I would say the same thing. So I think it's really 
attractive because it's well done mm-hmm. visually. It's very professionally and beautifully done. Mm-hmm. So I would just say that's probably the attractor. Almost in my like mind. the medium affects, affects the message. The message. Mm-hmm. Hmm. We've you never know, talked about that though. Maybe we should do an episode on that. The medium affects the message in a large way. Ooh, it's no small matter. So I'm also working through. Not even an eye roll. Do you guys have anything more on that, or I'm gonna move on? No, I'm not. I'm not super familiar with Bible projects, okay. so every time we talk about them, I'm just kind of like, I'm yeah. comfortable to sit in the back seat there. Sure. Maybe someday I'll watch. I, I don't think I've ever watched or listened to any of their. Got material. you. So I'm also uh, starting to get into some of the um, recent literature by uh, female authors. Um, there's, I've noticed a transition in the last two three years within um, um, big evangelical um, speakers, the female speakers. Elise Fitzpatrick is probably the biggest name one, and maybe Jen Wilkin, but I haven't chased her down, traced what she believes down yet. Uh, Elise Fitzpatrick specifically has said some of the stuff I wrote in my previous years I would not agree with anymore. Um, so uh, the students here at Faith, the ladies have to read Elise Fitzpatrick's book, Helper by Design, and for the family class, that's been a required textbook for a number of years. She's written a new book called Worthy that released in 2020. And then uh, earlier this year, 2022, she wrote Jesus and Gender. Both books are co-authored with Eric Schumacher. Uh, and in Worthy, they're basically articulating, um, I would just say this egalitarianism. They don't like that term. They would not take that term. But the exegesis that I've seen in Worthy is just basic normal arguments for egalitarianism. Uh, so I want to just uh, read a couple of, of things here. And I'm probably going to be bringing this up a few times in the next several books and businesses and episodes. I'm not going to make a covenant that I'm going to do this with you every single week. But because uh, I have some other books that I've been reading, and I want to share those as well. Uh, here in page 20 of Worthy, uh, she writes, Eric and I want to remind you of the honor and prominence of women in redemption, redemption's narrative because it is biblical and right to do so. Okay, so they're like, hey, you know what? The women authors um, or women in the redemptive narrative are really a, a major part of that, and they're right. But that's not the only reason we're writing. We both believe that every sort of story of misogyny and abuse should be heard and taken to heart. So something else that's kind of driving them is this culture and what they're seeing with the abuse uh, in our culture. And so their intentions are very good, and they want to uh, try to help women. Uh, so I don't want to totally disparage them, but what in the way that they're going about doing that, I do have some problems with it. I'm going to go back earlier in the book now to page 16. Paul's, uh, they make a, everybody makes a big deal about Phoebe in Romans 16. And if you're not familiar with this debate and the discussion, you need to go to Romans 16 verses 1 and 2. Uh, Phoebe is called a deaconess or a servant. Uh, and it states in, uh, they, they write in page 16, Paul's choice of Phoebe certainly confronts preconceived notions about proper feminine roles, especially in the ancient Near East. Why would Paul ask such a thing of a woman? Because she transported the letter of Romans uh, to um, the people back in Asia Minor. Wasn't he concerned that she shouldn't leave her home? Okay, so that little statement there, I want to just pick on that. Wasn't Paul concerned that Phoebe should not leave her home? Okay, so we don't really know anything about Phoebe. The text just states that she was a worthy woman who who took the letter to the Roman, uh, the, who who transported this letter for Paul. 
And they then just kind of go through, shouldn't he have sent one of the brothers from the church? Didn't he worry that he might be greasing a slippery slope that the women all over the Mediterranean world start looking for ministry opportunities and travel along? And they just say, we don't know a lot about Phoebe, but we do know that she was a woman worthy of honor. And it's true. You know what? That's exactly what we know about Phoebe. Who was she? A woman worthy of honor. But to impugn or to guess, which is what it is, a guess that Paul uh, was would not have been concerned about her leaving her home, uh, this is anachronistic. Uh, if Phoebe was a wife and had children, Paul would not have sent her on some kind of uh, mission. I think we could deduce that she, if she had a husband, he would have had to obviously been a part of that conversation because the patriarchal world of the ancient and even the time of Christ, uh, that era was a patriarchal world. And so who was it that Phoebe was? Well, I think we could deduce certain things about who she wasn't. So there's a whole lot more I could say about this. Um, they talk about Genesis 1 and Genesis 3, and their argumentation is very consistent with normal egalitarianism. Uh, that has not been Elise Fitzpatrick's historic position. And in Jesus and Gender, um, <clears throat> they state, Jesus was neither a feminist nor a patriarchist, nor was he complementarian or egalitarian. He simply wasn't interested in trying to build a worldly kingdom or attain a position of power for himself. Now, is that true? Does, was Jesus not interested in, in trying to build a worldly kingdom or attain a position of power for himself? Well, if you're Amil, yes. Yeah, he wasn't it's interested in an internal in it. kingdom, mm -hmm. you know. And they have this big whole thing about authority and power. Jesus isn't actually striving for power. He isn't striving for authority. In fact, later on, on this same uh, this page 31, I think, Jesus didn't have to strive for power because he knew that all power was already his. So he's like, acting on his power then. So he still had more oh. power. He was You see, Jesus provides powerful. an example for us on how power should be rightly used. It mm. isn't that he doesn't have power. And this is where I believe that they're going down the wrong road. It's not that Jesus doesn't have power. He does have power. He has all the authority. They're correct. He doesn't have to strive for it or fight for it or any of that kind of a thing. But what if somebody else is striving after Jesus's power? What if somebody else is trying to take the power that he actually has? You don't want to be that person. You don't want to be that person. Exactly. All right. And so... This is where I think that they've misunderstood Jesus's role to the disciples and even Jesus's role uh, in that culture. Jesus has the power and he has the authority. He doesn't have to fight for it. So later on, they write on page 34, the war for power between the sexes is driven by a desire that is at its core anathema to our Lord. His continual refusal to get drawn into sp spitting contests about who is greatest was undoubtedly a source of angst and confusion among his disciples who longed to rule over others, who fought on numerous occasions about who was the boss. Well, who was the boss? Jesus. Jesus was the boss. Yeah. Okay? And that's the pattern that God has ordained. Jesus was the boss. Okay, I'll let you make some inferences from there. I've gone a long time, but uh, I'm going to keep bringing this up because I'm noticing, and I just want to caution our female li listeners, uh, that uh, there's a lot of things changing in the last couple of years within broad evangelicalism, and a lot of the authors you used to 
probably trust. I uh, just uh, read with discernment. The um, I looked up Eric Schumacher. I didn't know who he was. He's a pastor at a Southern Baptist church, and not and, that you can genetically associate these things in Ames, but the SBC, yeah, in Ames. The SBC right now, this is the water. This is, well, I wouldn't say the watershed issue, but it's the central issue that's dividing being, it. Yeah, it's it's tearing it apart. So it's connected to social justice and yep. equality. Yeah, uh, well, and, and the it. abuse scandals and that whatnot. Too. So it's pretty rough. So for uh, for me, I'm speaking at a conference or state meetings this week uh, at the end of the week at Minnesota Association of Regular Baptist Churches up in Duluth. This time, it's going to be beautiful. Um, it's a state meeting, which is normally pastors, but they're trying to broaden it out to church people like lay people. So they're having me come up to do sessions on Bible study. So I'm going to try to make it practical, but also trying to like be able to speak to people who would want to learn to study the Bible. Or if pastors come, here are some resources you can use, uh, and a way to equip your flock. So I'm pretty excited about that. Um, for my book, I am just going to talk about a book that I listened to the uh, Death of Ivan Illich by Leo Tolstoy. This is a, I got to give a shout out to Lydia Miller. Dean and Lydia were at Family Camp 3 this summer, and Lydia, she was a student uh, in a class of mine about a decade ago. She said, You guys read a lot of books. You should read this. You might like it. And uh, it was really interesting. It's a novella, so it's short. It's only 56 pages. And it's, I'm not giving this away. You read it in the title Ivan Dies. <laughs> What's interesting is I was listening to it while I was driving to camp and then coming home from camp. And I think I need to read it because I think I need to see the words and be able to meditate on them. So this gets back to what Dr. Little was saying about the visual medium and what uh, Charlie is always bringing up about the audio medium. I, I, in, in, I took it in, but I didn't have time to ponder it well. So I'm not going to rank it. If I had to, if you put a gun to my head, I'd give it a squishy six, meaning <laughs> I might go higher. It, it was really interesting. Yeah, it kept me going. He eventually, he basically is a judge in Russia and he ascends the ranks and really builds a life for himself. He's always trying to please his wife and then ends up trying to put curtains up in a house. And when he falls, he kicks his, he kind of bumps his ribs on like a doorknob or something, and it really hurts. And he thinks he cracked a rib or something. And this pain just keeps staying with him for a couple of years until he's got some sort of an infection in his appendix. And it's this long, drawn-out death. And he goes from having everything to not, not having anything and just being sitting. He's, he's basically a convalesced guy in his own home, and his wife is distant from him. And he sort of reflects on life. So I'd say it's a reflection on life and death. And in that, it kind of fits all the stuff I've been talking about this hmm. season in the podcast. But I don't know where to go with it. I, I think there is some meaning in there that I meant was meant to grab, but it's going to be a, a two or a three reread. So Death of Ivan Illich, I'd recommend it. It was pretty interesting. Let leave it at that. All right. So this episode, we're on to question number seven of the 12 questions. How do I know if I'm walking in the spirit? And uh, how do you know if you're walking in something? You look at the bottom of your shoe and see what's there. Uh, that's not what we talk about in the episode. So you can listen to the rest of it and hope you enjoy that. And we'll see you next week. Let's have our seventh conversation about the 12 discipleship questions about discipleship. So 
The question today is, what, what are you laughing about over there? Well, I was going to make either a number of perfection joke or like we're in the last dispensation or I was going to make some seven joke. That's all. We're in the dispensation. Or it's a lucky episode, you know. Of discipleship. Horrendous. Oh, that's, <laughs> that's good. Okay. Uh, so the question for today is, how do I know if I'm walking in the spirit? The last question was, what are my trials revealing about me? And this section, we're starting to think through a response to trials as our response to the Holy Spirit. And our answer to that question, what do my trials reveal about me? It's patterns of fleshly or spirit control or influence in my life. And what we want as a believer, what God wants for us is to respond in moments of test or trial, moments of spiritual training. He wants us to train to yield to the Holy Spirit to walk in the Spirit, be controlled by the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 5, to be filled with the Holy Spirit. There's a lot of a lot of stuff we could talk about there. And so the question of the chapter, how do I know if I'm doing that? How do I know if I'm walking in the Spirit? And that brings up a couple of corollary questions. And so this is where I'm going to kick it to my comrades here. What is walking in the Spirit? Is Knock. this like a wrong answers only moment? <clears throat> you can do wrong answers. You can do right no, answers. I, you can do whatever you want. I don't. I th- I think that when you think of walking, you're thinking of steps, and each person has a different gait, like how how wide their step is. But I I don't think I think it's something different. So you're always walking in life. So it has something to do with how you live. I think that's a metaphor. Yeah. Um. I think I would just say it's it's something to do with how you live. So on that note. Uh, the passage that we're really concerned with in this chapter in the book is Galatians 5, 16 through 26. And in the chapter, I do note, and it's something if you're reading along, if you wanted to grab a Bible and open it and just pause and read through this right now, you would see a couple of different words in that passage, Galatians 5, 16 through 26, that talk about that relationship with the Spirit. There's walk, there's being led. Mm -hmm. And then uh, kind of the famous one at the end is like to stay in step with the spirit. And so it's, it's this idea of a following. There's a connection there. And that walking illustration is really good. You know, if you're walking, you're going somewhere. If you're Mm -hmm. walking with someone, you're walking with that person. And so that's a great illustration. And actually what the passage tells us here is that there's two people that want to walk with us. (laughs) There's the spirit and there's the flesh. We'll get to that in a moment. But uh, so we're walking in the spirit is, you know, taking steps with the spirit. Tim, do you have any comments on how we would maybe define or describe walking in the spirit? The walking metaphor is really proverbial. So we see that all over in the Old Testament. So it's like the character of your life and the character of your life should be governed by the spirit of God. And so, um, um, I mean, you know, you have all the virtues that are listed in Galatians five. I could, I could list through those love, joy, peace, long suffering. Um, we'll get to that. We'll get to that in a little bit. So hold off on that. I don't know if there's something else that you're after, but so let me, let me throw another question out to you. And I think this is a common thought about walking in the spirit or when you get into a Holy spirit discussion is we have to have a discussion about emotion. So, and I'll throw this question to you, is walking in the spirit an emotion or feeling? 
So I would know the question of the chapter, how do I know if I'm walking in the spirit? If someone did believe this, that it was an emotion, you would say, I know I'm walking in the spirit when I feel like it. So what problems would we maybe have with that? Well, I'll just go ahead and start off. So I read a book and I'm going to review it. Maybe I've already reviewed it by the time this episode airs called This Present Darkness when I was younger. And it was about angels and demons and the spirit world that's going on. I read it when I was really young. It's a very interesting book, but it's written by a Pentecostal with heavy Pentecostal theology. And so there's always these angels in the background and you, you sometimes your hair stands up on end when there's an angel or a demon nearby. And even though I was just a young boy when I read that, I literally thought that's what the spirit world was like. And so then I read this passage and thought, I must, it must be a feeling. I, and, and also we're living in such a feeling centric world that my first assumption was, oh, I'm going to feel something. But I don't know, in the passage, it, it sounds like the flesh and the spirit war against each other. So there's going to be disappointment feelings for one of them. Yeah. And I am going to kind of contradict myself here. At when we get to like verse 22, but what are the fruits of the spirit? Love. Mm -hmm. So how would I know if I'm walking in the spirit? I feel love or mm -hmm. joy. I feel joyful. Mm -hmm. And actually I do think that is correct. There is some mm -hmm. correct theology yep. there, but you can feel things. You can be happy. You can feel really great. You could feel love and you could actually be motivated yes. by the flesh. You could want something for the wrong reason, get it, and you're going to be very gratified. And so those emotions could be deceiving. Yeah. You, you could almost make it uh, like this. The, the feeling can't be the leading thing. You can't be aiming at the target of a feeling, and you can't be thinking that the feeling is leading me. There's attending feelings. Yeah. And it would be go back to what you often reference in Abolition of Man, the yeah. heart and the mind and all that. Yeah. What Where... Is the source of the emotion, is there something underneath that is motivating the emotional response? And we would say yes. And uh, Tim, do you have any comments on that? Like, is, is walking in the spirit and emotion anything you want to say there? Maybe, so, maybe for, for example, there's like this huge command in the Old Testament that's to love, right? Right. So how do I know? And that's going to get us to this other question. Well, I know I'm walking in the spirit if I feel like I love God, right? So you really have to discern what the emotion is because you do love the Lord and you do fear God. But what is that? What is that? Okay, so maybe an illustration of joy. We'll use joy as an illustration. Um, the, the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering. Well, can you have joy? Can you have peace during a trial? If you can have joy and peace while you're going through a valley in a really difficult time, where does that come from? That has to come from the Spirit of God. That's not coming from your flesh. So when you're going through a trial or a difficulty, your natural tendency is going to be those fleshly des desires, the war, the, the battling, and everything else. So as an illustration, perhaps consider Acts, I think it's chapter 3, where you have the apostles, and they are beaten, and they rejoiced that yeah. they were counted worthy to suffer for the sake of and the gospel. Is it Paul and Silas who yes. are thrown in jail? And they're singing. And they're singing at night. Mm -hmm. And yeah, very counter flesh action there. 
Right. So one other thought would be Thomas Dixon has a book, The Revolting Revolting Passions. Passion from passions to emotions. That's it. From passions to Ooh, emotions. That sounds really good. And he talks about how the passions and the affections were historically the categories described uh, that described emotions. Emotions is a new word that's been invented, well, used primarily in the last 200, 300 years. And it's flown out of evolutionary uh, thought. Maybe we should do a books and business on that book sometime and maybe talk about that idea yes. some more. Okay. So, and I'll, I will throw in here one of the better chapters in a book I've read recently that interacts with emotions is friend of the podcast, Jonathan Pennington in Jesus, the great philosopher he has a section called educating emotions. And that first chapter, he goes into like, um, a lot of old philosophy views on emotions and passions. So it yeah. fits right into that discussion. Yeah. He was familiar with the terminology. Yeah. A lot of modern Christian living books that talk about the emotions really are not familiar with the historic What's what are we actually saying when we say emotions? Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, okay. So here's where I would say, so we, we're kind of down a rabbit trail of questions. So the big question for the chapter, how do I know if I'm walking in the spirit? We're going to get to that end answer. But so underneath of how do I know, we have to know what it is first. And so in answering what it is, we've posed a question, is it a feeling? I think from Galatians 5, I could exegetically argue that you could not trust an emotional response to dictate whether you're walking in the spirit. Emotions do accompany walking in the spirit, but they also accompany walking in the flesh. And what's described in Galatians 5 is a fight, a war of competing desires. And so what you need to realize, a decision to walk in the spirit, which would be to turn away from wrong desire, is you're going to always be turning away from a desire. So you, you may be walking in the spirit and really feel like you're not. The emotions in you might be so conflicted that you really want to do the thing you know is wrong. The emotion is pulling you to do the wrong thing. And it would be incorrect to say, well, my emotion is telling me to do this thing. So I must act upon the emotion. And that is walking in the spirit because you're going to really feel like doing wrong. And that goes the other way too. There's going to be times you're going to really feel convicted to do what is right. So I think that fighting, competing emotion and desire within you, I think that would be a reason to not define walking in the spirit as an emotion. Okay. So here's another question I'm going to kick out to the table. So if it's not an emotion, we know that the word of God is very intimately connected to the spirit. What would we say if I said walking in the spirit is obeying what the word of God says? Is that true? Is that not, is there nuances to that we want to maybe address? It just, just do what the Bible says. You're walking in the spirit. You obeyed. You did what the Bible said. So it's hard because obedience usually pigeonholes us into only behavior. But if you, if you're only thinking behavioral, let's say like this behavioral obedience, and this is what you really helped. I think me think through behavioral obedience is, is good and necessary, but there needs to be an internal obedience as well to the word of God. 
And so if God tells you to love God and you don't love God, but you obey the command, then that's like half good. You half follow the spirit, but in your soul, you haven't humbled you. So I, I think it's good. I wouldn't want to say it's wrong. I don't think I could say it's wrong, but I would want to add some clarity. I think of it like if you're walking in the spirit, it's as though you are walking the way the spirit would. I think, I don't know. Thoughts? All right. So I, <laughs> um, I like equating obedience with walking in the spirit. And I think, I know where you're going to go with this. Okay. But, you do. <laughs> but I, I really, really emphasize obedience is walking in the spirit. And so I, I recognize that there's more to it in the conversation, but a lot of times when we think through obeying, okay, it's doing something that I don't want to do. And sometimes, guess what? That's exactly right. Yeah, that that is exactly what Galatians 5 says, is that there's a reason you don't do the things you want. And it's because there's conflicting desires. To repent and choose to yield to the Spirit will always include, or to say obeying what the Spirit has said through the Word, is always going to be doing something, will include doing something you don't want to do. But Tim knows where I'm going to go with this. And I think, obviously, I don't have experiential knowledge of this, but I'm looking at two dads. Have you ever had your child do what you asked them to do, but you knew they were upset while they did it? Like, they obeyed, but they were, like, fuming within. Has that happened? No. Not with my children. Except for the ones that are like me. So, Oh, that's my children. So what I say in the book is, hey, if you're like me, like if, if anyone reading this is like Charlie, there's a lot of times you know what the right thing to do is and you can do it and you're like still upset, bitter, you know, you know you're under the control of the flesh while you're doing it. And I do, I'm, I would never say obedience is wrong because, you know, there's a little cute little song. Obedience is the best way to show that you believe. There's certainly walking in the spirit cannot be less than obeying what the spirit has said through the word of God. Like that has to be clear. However, if you develop a pattern in your life of what we'll call external conformity, and you're not aware of what's motivating your action, there is a potential that you could externally do the right thing. You know what the word of God would expect or tell you to do, and you could follow it, you know, by the letter of the law, and your heart could be not connected fully or correctly with those actions. And so I would say that walking in the spirit is not only external obedience. God wants you to love him with all your heart, all your strength. And I think the emphasis of the repetition all is like everything you are. And that includes your loves and your desires and your motives. And as you have a competition going on inside of you, a fight of fleshly control and spirit control, you want to be aware of that battle and you don't want to ignore when you have competing desires. And so what I would say walking in the spirit is, is it's not just an emotion, but there are emotions associated. It's not just doing an action, but walking in the spirit is when all of those pieces meet. 
where you recognize wrong desire and you, you know that the word of God instructs you that, Hey, you're not loving right now, or Hey, you're bitter, or you're jealous, or you're angry. And you see that. And then you take a turn, you repent, you agree with God that your wrong desires are wrong. And you turn to Christ in the word through the spirit for help. And we, I think we mentioned in the last episode, this illustration of like completing the catch. Well, what would it mean to complete the catch of walking in the spirit? You recognize the desire, you turn, and then you obey. It, it can't be less than doing what has been said to do, but you can do it and, and not want to do it. And I think that is the freedom that the spirit of God offers is doing the right thing because you want to do the right thing. That doesn't mean you always have perfect desires for the right thing, but as your loves get ordered properly to the way God wants you to have them ordered, you would choose the best things first and act upon the higher loves, which is a love of God. So, I really like that threefold component. Recognize spiritual discernment, repent, and then do it and obey, even if you don't want to, even if you don't like it. Tim, recognize, repent, obey. Where's your R? Come on. Come on, man. Let's alliterate that. It's, there's not a good R word for that. Reprove? Re, re, Recalculate? No. Tim is looking up R words. He's looking them up on a thesaurus. What do we, what do we have here? I don't know. I... <laughs> Nothing, none of them really work. I like knuckle under, but that's not an R. That's that's got a he lot. Went, of he went on thesaurus dot com and looked up synonyms for obey, respond, respond. Yeah. I think respond is good. Yeah. yeah. So we're, we're trying to answer this question. How do I know? We start with what is it? Well, it's not just an emotion. It's not just external conformity to a a set of do's and don'ts. It's, it's all of those things coming together with a recognition, a repentance, and a response. That, that does work really well. Mm-hmm. And so Galatians 5 then tells us, as we respond to either the spirit or the flesh, what tangible markers will look like. So I think it's Galatians 5.19 tells us that the deeds of the flesh are evident. And then verse 22, we have the fruits of the spirit. So I think those are two good alliterated words to think through this passage, the fight and the fruit. And so how do you know if you are walking in the spirit as a pattern of your life, you should see some of the fruits and the inverse is true. You would expect on days that you're walking in the flesh, excuse me, walking in the spirit to not see fruits of the flesh. And it actually says that in verse 16, if you walk in the spirit, you will not gratify, act on obey, respond to the desires of the flesh. So if you see in your actions or your speech or your thinking, even your emotions, maybe these very fleshly responses to things, that would be a sign to you. I'm not walking in the spirit. Maybe you have a trial that happens and you respond, you pray, God, I need help. And there's someone that maybe it's someone that's very difficult to love. And you don't like it, but you're responding in a loving way. That would be a fruit, a sign that you are walking in the spirit. So question of the chapter, how do I know 
if I'm doing that? How do I know if I'm walking in the spirit? I think the the big answer finally is just, it's a test of fruit. You should not expect to see fruit, however, if you're not taking steps of recognition and repentance and responding to obeying the word. If you're if you're falling short in one of those categories, I, I wouldn't expect to see lots of fruit of the spirit. Like, why am I not loving? Well, do you even see when you're not loving? Like, are you aware of that? Well, no. Well, start there. <laughs> are you? Do you have a pattern of repentance in your life? Like, you see where the flesh is is working. You see where God is trying to transform your desires, and when you see them, you turn to God. You pray and you confess, and you ask Him for His help. Well, no, I actually like never pray that. Well, that's where I would go. Like, if if there's not a pattern of repentance turning away from the wrong desire to the right one, why would you expect a transformation of the fruit? So, yeah. What if I just, I stop and I think, and I'm like, yeah, you know, I just don't really see any um, fleshly responses. How could somebody start to see them? Yeah, so actually, if you go back through and... Uh, listen to some of the earlier episodes in this this track. We have some practical steps. Actually, I think I, don't, I can't remember if it's chapter four. You know what forms of trials is God using, and you start trying to keep track of trials. And our normal fleshly reaction when a difficult person or a difficult circumstance or a temptation comes we very commonly like to justify the fleshly desire and we like to preserve the flesh. We like to promote ourselves. We, we don't like to and naturally struggle seeing where we're wrong. Like we, we don't like to admit that. We like to humble ourselves. So usually when you have a difficult person, you like to blame. Usually when you have a difficult circumstance, you like to complain, you know, like, why is this happening? And so if you can go through a week and you can't identify any like oh you know actually i had this happen just the other day i was at a coffee shop with a young man and we were we're walking through these 12 questions i think we got to question three or four and so i asked him like what trials is god putting in your life thanks for a moment ah i can't really think of anything so and i was like i asked a follow-up question so there was like no difficult people this whole week uh actually no something does come to mind and 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 by the way by the way, you, you trust and know as a discipler that God is doing this work. Like I am confident that God is doing this. It's very rarely will you find someone that legitimately has like a carefree trial free life. There are some who lead very easy lives and it's kind of hard to find these fleshly temptations. Um, but they're there. And so I, I, to answer your question, Tim, I would you know, there's a very famous phrase that we've referred to at this table. Sometimes you have to poke the bear to minister to the bear. And guess what? Humans don't see that they're the problem. So you have to kind of bring out that problem so that they can see the problem. I don't know if that's where, where you're getting to with that. It was, yeah. Because one of the things that we have amongst us is this camaraderie and this fellowship so that if one of us is going off the path, then we can poke 
yeah. the other person. And, and so, you know, if you're like, man, I just, I've been a very loving person. Well, you might actually be very blind to your own sin. You've deceived your yourself. So what you really need is you need to go to somebody and say, Hey, you know what? You're my friend. Don't, don't just patronize me. Tell me yeah. the truth. And what's going on in my mind right now is I'm thinking of, I can't, you probably know, where is the verse in Proverbs? Faithful are the wounds of a friend. And I think there's a misconception in our culture of what real friendship is. What our culture wants friendship to be is it's always self-gratifying. It's always affirming. It's never pointing out my flaws. It's, it's, it's letting me be me. And your real friends are the people you can be you around. Full acceptance. Yeah. And I think there's an aspect of that. There's people you're comfortable around, but there's actually a deeper layer to friendship, which is getting to a point where you're comfortable and trusting of people to point out your flaws and you're willing to receive that. And what does Proverbs call someone who will not receive instruction? A fool. And then faithful are the wounds of a friend. The implication is that you're willing to listen when a wise friend points something out to you. C.S. Lewis wrote a book, The Four Loves. We should talk about that book on the podcast sometime. We are going to talk about that on the podcast. He's, he's, he's teeing it up. We're going to, next season, we're going to open the season, I think, with like a series where we're going to intentionally walk mm-hmm. through those four yeah. loves. But anyway, so that, that's all I have for the end of this, in, end of this chapter. I don't know if you guys have any other comments. So two, uh, this reminds me of Jim Burke's illustration of the teacup that gets bumped and what was in it comes out of it. And so when yep. you see wrong responses in your life, that's because that was in you already. A lot of times you blame your circumstances or the difficult people like you're saying. Yeah. And so sometimes your friend is the one who God uses to bump you a little and that hot, nasty tea stuff pops out. But if you're not responding humbly, then you're, you're never going to see that. And then the second thing, I have a question for you about this. Yeah. So we were talking about emotions earlier and the place of them. Would it be, I don't, I, I, I'm not sure if I like what I'm asking, but do you think it would be safe then if someone's asking the question, well, how do I handle my emotions as I'm trying to discern walking in the spirit? Would it be okay to say that they are at times they could serve as maybe red flags? So if I'm like raging, yeah. you know, but I, what would you say that like a red flag is an okay category for them? What do you think? Yeah, 100%. Or indicators or... Yeah, so I actually use the term red flag often. And so if you remember back to earlier, I think we talked about this on one of the early episodes of the podcast, the pyramid. This is like the lasting illustration of all the guys that have yeah, been in my office. That is such a I good take five books of different sizes and I stack them up like a pyramid. And what we do is we walk through them. The top two are external things, what I do and what I say. And the bottom three, which are always bigger, and that's to convey importance of awareness before I usually speak, which is number two, you have what you think. And underneath of that are emotions and attitudes is book four. And then way down at the bottom, I think this is a James four teaching, way down below all of that is, well, what did you want? And so what I try to, I think what discipleship is, 
is you're trying to help people increase awareness of what's going on inside of them. That That's what God is doing. And so it's not enough in discipleship. And this, we talked about this in this episode. It's not enough to just focus on that top book. Well, what did you do? Well, I was wrong. Don't do that again. Well, what did you say? Well, don't say that again. And you can focus a lot of effort spiritually on don't do, don't say. Uh, and there's actually a very, there's a verse in Colossians that talks about this. Don't touch that. Don't, don't do that. Don't eat that. And they all concern physical things. And guess what? It doesn't help the indulgence of the flesh. Colossians 2. And so what I try to train and coach people through is, you know, before you didn't said that, there's probably something going on. And there, there was a response internally. Were you aware of that response? And usually the answer for a, a newer disciple is no. Okay, well, you try, essentially it comes to being more mindful of what's going on inside. And you can catch a red flag at any one of those stages. It can start just with out of nowhere, man, I really want that. Ah, I shouldn't want that. You find yourself really having a bad attitude or you're feeling a certain way. Why am I feeling like this? Why, why am I angry? Well, I wanted something, I didn't get it, and that progressed to my emotional level, my attitude. Ah, I shouldn't have an attitude like that. And you catch it before you do or say anything, before you act on it. And you start, maybe you can catch yourself thinking about something over and over and over. I think this is huge with guys. Like, what are you thinking about all day? You know, uh, specifically with lust. Like, are you meditating, thinking on evil things? You know, Philippians addresses this. If that's what's consuming your mind, I can tell you what's going to happen if you go on autopilot. If you are thinking and thinking and thinking lustful thoughts all day and you don't turn from them, I guarantee you that car's going to crash. I guarantee you. And it's not just a, well, don't do it. Don't do it. Why are you th you're thinking and those thoughts are coming from desire? And are you ever addressing those desires within you? And so that's what I would say is that, yeah, those, those are okay. red flags. And those, th those are exactly things that God is trying to reveal through trials. Mm -hmm. And um, it's interesting how God does that sometimes. But yes. Okay. So. I just, I really appreciated that when you, when we first started talking about this in, I think it was 2018 first or way back, way back in the day. I, I had been through Galatians five in intro to Bible study and it, like two things clicked. Number one, it doesn't matter what I feel in one sense. If I see anything in that deeds of the flesh list, I'm walking in the flesh, even if I don't feel like it. Yeah. But then number two looking at what's coming out of me and saying what produced that, that was a, a big help. And both of those well, relate to the emotions. So speak, I just, I appreciate To speak this. to that issue, one of the items on that list is outbursts of wrath. Yeah, yep. And most people typically experience a euphoric, joyful sense mm -hmm. after they have vented. Yep. And what is that? Well, I feel really good. Mm-hmm. Well, does that mean you did what you should have done? Mm -hmm. Like you feel completely justified. You feel great. You feel like a weight's off your shoulders. This has to be walking in the spirit, right? And if, if all you're doing is 
looking at, well, how I feel right now is good. That must be a positive sign. You're really missing it. And I had a kid in my office. I shouldn't call him a kid. I had a student in my office a few years ago who the conversation, this is a poke the bear to minister to the bear situation where was not seeing what was going on in his life. And I kept asking questions and I, well, why'd you do this? Well, what about this? What about this? And it progressed to the point where this student is banging on the desk and yelling at me. And I'm like, what is that? Like that, what we just did, what is this? Like, is this the spirit? Like, how are you, how are you going to justify this action to me? And that was the cracking point because they, I could turn them right to Galatians five. I'm like, what is this? And you know, but you know, if, if you're worried about anonymity at this point, I think I've had that exact conversation with probably like three or four dozen guys. <laughs> and so any one of you 30 or 40, if you take notice of this, well, I love you. Um, and I mean that I don't, I mean that I love you, but that was the cracking point of like, Oh, that's my flesh. And, uh, and that is God working through his word. And that is how he disciples people. So, um, if there's no other comments, we'll leave it there. Um, just say, Hey, um, try to think about this in your own life. Uh, how do you know if you're walking in the spirit or I could tag onto that or the flesh look for the patterns of recognition and repentance and response. And then also look for the, the fruit of yielding to the spirit or giving into yielding into the fleshly desires. And if you see the flesh and its fruit, there's a very simple response. It's to turn to the Lord and ask for help, confess your sin. And he is faithful and just to forgive you of all your sins and to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. And uh, right after that verse, you know, the word of God is intended to help us not sin. But if you do, you always have an advocate through Jesus Christ, the righteous who paid for your sin. So I don't want this to be a discouragement to you. But if you see the flesh at work, recognize and be encouraged that that is part of the discipling process. God wants you to see that. Now respond. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Thinklings Podcast. We would love to hear from you. If you have any feedback, suggestions, or potential topics that you'd like us to discuss, you can contact us through our email, thinklingspodcast at gmail.com. Remember, don't let this conversation end with this podcast. Read good books, talk about them with your friends, and always continue to cultivate your mind. See you next time on the Thinklings Podcast.